Thank you. So Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Thanks, Carol. Please keep your Bibles open at uh, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to pray for us again as we come to reflect on this part of God's Word. Father God, thank you for your Word. Please uh, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts ready to respond to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we are at the, uh, the beginning of uh, the new year, and uh, the new year often brings a time of, of I guess, reflection and anticipation as we, uh, we look back and reflect on the year past, and, and we look, a, look ahead and, and anticipate what uh, may be coming in the year before us. Uh, we might do that personally. I don't know if you've... Uh, reflected on last year and sort of thought about the, the big events of last year and, and looked ahead to the year before us. Um, we might do that on a uh, kind of bigger world stage as we reflect on the, uh, the big events of 2023 in our world and the impact that they have had, the impact that they may have going forward. Uh, I wonder what comes to mind for you as you think on the big events of, uh, in the world for 2023. Maybe just take a, take a moment to chat to the person next to you um, and uh, think, what were the big world events for 2023? Take a moment.
Maybe that's uh, en- enough to kind of get you, get you thinking. Maybe, I don't know what comes to mind, maybe nothing comes to mind. You've kind of written off 2023, that's, 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 that's done, that's finished. Um, but any suggestions? What, uh, what were some of the, the world, the big world events for 2023? A king, not a queen. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, king Charles was, was coronated on the, I think it was it the 6th of May. He actually technically, I'll look this up, he became king upon the Queen's death in 2022, but 2023 was when he was actually coronated. Yep. Wars, yes. As there are, well, every year, but I mean, there was, there was some big significant wars we're quite aware of, I think especially Russia, Ukraine, uh, Hamas, Israel. Yep. Other big world events. Donald Trump. <laughs> well, he's, he's had something to do with things for every year for some time, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> the Women's World Cup. Yes, that was. Yes, that's right. Uh, that was June, July, August. Yep. Australia's cricket. Yep. The world dominance. Yep. Thank you. Peace and, right, peace, yep. That sounds like a, yeah, a significant world world event as the, as the United Nations gather together, yeah. Um, I, I looked up, I, I'm not a great one for sort of current affairs and um, I, I got out of the habit of watching the news years ago and sort of haven't really regained it, but I did uh, search up, you know, key events 2023 and um, yeah, a, a few of the uh, we've listed already came up. Um, apparently uh, 2023 was the official end of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, there you are. Um, I'm not sure they even told COVID that, but um, it's maybe the pandemic has, has ended. Um, uh, the yes, coronation, uh, the, WIFA, uh, the Women's FIFA Soccer World Cup. Uh, 2023 was the launch of AI or artificial intelligence on a big scale through things such as ChatGTP. Uh, and, uh, and we might list some other key events. I wonder if you'd say those, any of those world events were world-changing events. I wonder if that, what, what makes something a, a world-changing event? I mean, will we, for example, will 2023 be regarded as the year that AI changed the world? I guess time will tell. Sorry, I missed that. Skynet. I guess we'll find out, and I suppose that's that's uh, that's that's how you discover if something's world changing. Is you look back and say, "Oh, look at that! It changed the world." Um, there are many world changing events that impact that change the lives of people, um, and yet I think many of those events, perhaps most of the events that gain that kind of status of world changing, actually in the end don't really impact or change our lives all that significantly. Maybe they do have a, a kind of short term impact, but their impact tends to tends to fade over time. This morning, what I want to do is uh, I want us to consider from today's Bible reading one world-changing event, which really is really is the world-changing event. Uh, this is an event that that has that ought to and will impact the lives of every person on this planet, including you and including me. And that event is, of course, the coming of Jesus into this world. Jesus has, he has impacted this world like no other person in history. I mean, our, our, even our calendar system 
is evidence of that fact. I mean, Jesus' life is the defining point between BC and AD. The way we we measure history is literally centered around Jesus. Jesus has impacted this world. And now we read today in this uh, this passage at the beginning of Mark's gospel of his arrival onto the public scene. We see the the origin of this world-changing event. And so my question for you and for me today is this. How is and how will this world-changing event be life-changing for you, for me? How has this event and, and how is this event impacting us? Is it something that we, that we look back on and say, oh, well, that, you know, that was interesting, that had an impact, and, but it doesn't really make much difference to my life today? Or actually, will it be the key world-changing event that is life-changing for us, that, that will shape us, that will drive our lives day by day as we move into the new year before us? Uh, it, it is the beginning of the year, uh, at this time of, as I said, reflection, anticipation. I thought it'd be good for us to go back to, to the beginning, back to meet and get to know the real Jesus as he's introduced to us in Mark's gospel. And we're going to be working our way through uh, this book over the coming months. And I really hope that this will, will give us a fresh understanding of who Jesus is and what it means, what it, what it is that he came to do and what it means for us to follow him, what difference he makes to our lives. Uh, we're dealing this morning with beginnings, <clears throat> and Mark's gospel begins with the beginning. Look there with me, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 1 in your Bibles. It says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, this is not just Mark saying, um, uh, This is the start of the good news, you know, like in saying, this is the first sentence of my book. Uh, that would be a little bit strange. Um, it's more than that. He's saying, here's how the gospel message of Jesus began. You, dear reader, may have heard a lot about this Jesus person. You may know about this Christianity thing. Here's how it began. Here are the events in which it is anchored. Here is its beginning, its origin. And that's helpful for us. Uh, you know, We all have an understanding of, of Jesus, perhaps of varying degrees of, of Christianity and what it is. This shorter account of things by Mark, this shows us what it's really about, where this good news came from, what, what its origin is, where it began. And the first thing that Mark says, <clears throat> as he lays out this foundation, he says, if you want to understand who Jesus is, you need to understand the Old Testament. You need to understand the, the first two thirds of the Bible leading up to the coming of Jesus. He says, look there, verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So here, Mark, as he's laying out this foundation, he, he quotes from the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before Jesus, prophesying, looking ahead to the coming of the Lord. Now, this, uh, this prophecy it's actually a combination of three Old Testament passages. Uh, so Exodus 23, verse 20, uh, it alludes to that. And there's a hint there of, well, this is a, this is a new Exodus. Uh, secondly, Malachi 3, verse 1, which is the last book of the Old Testament, looking forward. And Isaiah 40, verse 3, the, and the, the, the turning point in the book of Isaiah is, uh, is, is in chapter 40, where it signals the coming of the Lord in salvation. And so it's like Mark saying, the whole Old Testament, Exodus, Malachi, Isaiah, it's pointing forward towards this, 
Uh, this prophecy is about um, a messenger, someone who's going to come, in, as it says, in the wilderness. So this wilderness messenger will prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And so Mark quotes this, this collective prophecy, and then he says, well, this was fulfilled by John the Baptist. See there, verse 4, he says, and so John the Baptist appeared. He, he fulfilled this prophecy. He, he appeared in the wilderness. He's this wilderness messenger preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, what's this baptism? Well, John's baptism was a, a symbol of, of cleansing, of washing. The Jews actually had all sorts of washing rituals. Um, so we'll get to that in a minute, um, Dean. Um, it, it also, the Jews had different uh, washing rituals. Uh, John's baptism uh, was, a, was a washing about repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That is, it was an outward washing that was a symbol of an inward change. The word repentance literally means a change of mind, a change of heart away from sin to be forgiven. And that's the way that John got people ready for the Lord. He, he called on them to, to clean up their lives spiritually, to repent, to seek forgiveness. John appeared and he got people ready. <clears throat> it's a bit like if someone important was coming to, um, to visit your house. You would likely clean things up and get things ready. You'd do the, the washing up, the, you'd vacuum, you'd, you'd take out the garbage, you'd deal with the mount, mountains of clothes in the lounge room, just to pick a few hypothetical things that one might do if someone was coming to visit. Uh, John prepared the way. He got people ready for the coming of the Lord as he preached this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, John was a, um, a curious person. For one thing, he dressed rather oddly. Look there, verse 6, um, Mark highlights this. He says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And we might think, well, that's a strange detail to include. It's a strange um, way to dress. If it's a strange detail to include, Mark includes it because he wants us to think of another person from the Old Testament. This is very similar to that description uh, of the prophet Elijah from 2 Kings 1 verse 8, which will be on the screen. Thanks, Dean. Which says of Elijah, he had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. So Mark's making the point, John is like Elijah. And in the literally closing words of the Old Testament, Malachi 4 verse 5, it says, Elijah will appear before the coming of the Lord. So Mark is showing again how, how John was this Elijah type person. He's getting people ready for the coming of the Lord, which John did through his baptism and through what he said, as verse 7 continues, this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. John says, someone great is coming after me. John's just kind of getting the crowds ready for the main attraction. And the one coming is so much greater which is saying something because John was pretty great. He had a pretty big impact. Look back there in verse 5, it says there, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. He was a big deal. He drew crowds in a big way. I mean, think about that today. What sort of celebrity would draw a crowd like that? John says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing compared to the one who's coming after me. I'm not even worthy to be a slave and to untie his shoes for him. He says, verse 8, I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This one who's coming after, after John will, will not just cleanse you symbolically 
on the outside, he will bring about a true inward cleansing by the Holy Spirit of God. So John prepared the way. And we have this great moment of expectation. We anticipate the, the arrival of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah, the God's King. We anticipate one more powerful than John who will baptize with the Holy Spirit, who will bring the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's this great moment of anticipation. We're expecting the Lord to come. And then Mark says, verse 9, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. This is Jesus' grand entry. And it's, it's a little surprising for a few reasons as he steps on the scene. Firstly, he came from Nazareth in Galilee. Nazareth was, a, uh, was nowheresville. It was kind of a backwater town in the sticks. Um, it's kind of like saying, in fear of offending anyone, um, he came from Baraba in northwest New South Wales. Anyone been to Baraba? Yep, Vicky and I. Actually, we were just talking about it before. We've been. Anyone know where Baraba is? Anyone else know? No? It's quite, that kind of proves my point. It's actually, my, my parents-in-law lived in Baraba for a number of years. It's a lovely place, but it's an obscure place. It's, it's kind of north, northwest of Tamworth, about an hour. Um, Jesus came from an obscure, unimportant place, from Nazareth in Galilee. But, but the second thing that's surprising here is, it kind of begs the question, why is Jesus baptized? I mean, if he's the great one, so much greater than John, why is he, why is he baptized by John? Jesus didn't need to repent of sin. What's happening here, I think, is that Jesus is identifying with the people that he came to save. He's connecting himself with John's ministry. He's connecting himself with the people that John has prepared. And so Jesus is baptized, but his baptism is a baptism with a difference. As we read, look there, verse 10. It says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Now, we may be familiar with these words, but this is a spectacular event. I mean, heaven torn open, the spirit descending in a bodily form and this voice from heaven telling us who Jesus is. It's, it's a spectacular event. This voice says, this, this is God's Son. And again, if we, have our, uh, if we understand our Old Testaments, we're thinking through that lens as we, we hear this, you are my son, this voice from heaven is, is very significant. It echoes from Psalm 2, the, that great kind of almost national anthem Psalm of Israel that, that speaks of the, the king, the ruler, the one who's going to rule the world and subdue Israel's enemies of whom God says, you are my son. So this is who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah declared by God to be the great promised king. But then the next phrase, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. Well, that alludes to a different part of the Old Testament, to a, to a different character, to the suffering servant spoken of in Isaiah. The one who's introduced in Isaiah 42 verse 1 uh, in this way, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. And so here, right at, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's identified as both the king who's going to rule in God's kingdom and as the suffering servant who'll bring 
deliverance and forgiveness to God's people. This is a striking introduction. And we might expect that, well, the next thing we read is, well, Jesus heads off to Jerusalem to begin his reign as God's ordained king. But no, look what happens next. Verse 12 says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Uh, As I said before, Jesus has identified himself with God's people in baptism. Now he identifies himself again with them as he's tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. It alludes to how God's people Israel were tested in the wilderness for 40 years in the time of the exodus from Egypt. The difference here, though, is that Jesus, unlike Israel, remains faithful to God. He is the truly faithful one. So this is saying, yes, Jesus is is God's son. He's the king, the almighty king who rules. But he's also like us. He's fully human, yet without sin. Now, that, that truth is an enormous comfort to us. Jesus knows what it is to struggle. He knows what it is to be tempted. Uh, elsewhere, it says in, in Hebrews 4, verse uh, 15, which will come up on the screen there, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is Lord and King. But he understands, he knows, and he helps us in our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Well, this is the the, the background, the introduction to Jesus. The action begins with the world-changing announcement of verse 14. Look there with me. Verse 14 says, After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. That's a simple message in one sense. That's it in a nutshell. It's time. Now, God's kingdom has come near. That is, God The creator, the sustainer of this world has come. He's entered into time and space in this world as the man, Jesus Christ. God's kingdom has come near. It has begun. Friends, this is the great world-changing event of all time. The danger is that we, we kind of miss it, that we don't see it, that it just kind of becomes words on a page. This is the great event, the arrival of Jesus That has impacted this world like nothing else. It's changed nations, it's shaped history, it's radically impacted billions of lives. The impact of Christianity on this world is massive and it began with those words, the time has come. But this announcement of this this world-changing event, it's not just something of the past that his impact sort of slowly dims and fades, perhaps like the, the world events of 2023. Now, this announcement of the kingdom calls for a response. Jesus said the kingdom of God has come near. The response, repent and believe the good news. Now, Jesus said that to those people around him as he walked into Galilee all those years ago. But Mark recorded it here for us 
some 2,000 years later, because so great is this news of God's kingdom, this announcement that the, the response it calls for must ring out down through the ages across the world to us here in Gledswood Hills and beyond us to the people of this world. The news is, the response is, repent and believe the good news. What does that mean what, for this, this world-changing event to be a life-changing event for us? What does it mean? Well, Jesus says, firstly, repent. Now, the word repentance literally means a change of mind, a turning around, turning around in our thinking, in our behavior. It's a decision, fundamentally, to change from living with ourselves in charge to handing over control to Jesus and saying, you be God of my life. I'm going to do things your way. Repentance involves making that, that initial decision. And it involves continuing to make that decision, to continue to repent of our sin, to change, to, to repent of our self-rule. The older I get, the, um, the more aware I become of my sin. I remember when I was a younger man and the older person saying that that was true of them. The older they get, the more aware of their sin they become. And, and I think it's true. Maybe awareness is a, is a step forward in maturity. Maybe I was just naive and blasé about it. But as I become aware of my sin, I need to repent of it. I need to change my mind about it. I need to bring it before God and ask for forgiveness. Ask him to change me. That, that's what I need to do. It's what you need to do if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus. As you face sin in your life, maybe when you criticize others, maybe when you lose your temper and yell at the kids or your parents or the idiot who cut in front of you in the traffic or when your heart is captivated by lust or envy, or greed, you're confronted by your sin, there it is, in front of you, what do you do? Do you brush it under the carpet and just try not to think about it? Well, that's not what a follower of Jesus does. Jesus says, repent. We must humble ourselves before God and seek forgiveness from him and ask him to change us. And we must humble ourselves before others and seek forgiveness from them too. Jesus says, firstly, repent. That's, that's the first response to the coming of the kingdom. And the second response is to believe the good news. To believe and, and embrace the fact that, that God's kingdom has come, that the, the, the good news has come near. We have the good news of Jesus. God has stepped into this world in time and space in the man Jesus Christ, and he's calling on people to follow him, to believe the good news, and so to live for him, to live for his kingdom, to live with him as king. Friends, as you face this uh, new year of 2024, my call to you is to, is to repent, to believe the good news, to live with Jesus as your king. Walk with him as your king day by day and allow this world-changing event to be life-changing for you. I think we often need reminding of that. We can forget what an amazing thing it is that God has done for us in Jesus and we can, we can forget and we drift and just start to become like the people around us who don't know Jesus, who don't follow him. Don't be like that. Live for God's kingdom. His kingdom has come, so live for the kingdom. How do we do that? Well, that'll... 
that'll shape all sorts of things that are in the way we think, the way we speak, the way we behave, uh, what our priorities are. It'll affect us in all sorts of ways. I can give you some examples which might serve as a reminder for many of you, um, but they're just examples. Don't be limited by these things. Um, first one, as we embark on a new year, as we think about what our priorities will be this year, it's not rocket science. I say make church a top priority. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir here. Here you are. On holiday Sunday, here you are at church. Uh, make church a, prop tire, a, a top priority. If, you, if you're living for the kingdom of God, make the weekly gathering with his people around his word to encourage one another and to spur one another on. Make that a top priority in your life. Uh, repent of other priorities that get in the way of that and, and aren't about God's kingdom. Make church a priority. Not, and not out of a sense of guilt or a sense that will... You know, Gav will be disappointed with me if I don't or something. But because you're living for the kingdom and you want to gather together with God's people to hear from his word, to encourage them, to be encouraged by them. And read the, read the passage we're looking at at church beforehand. Come uh, thinking about it and, and expectant, ready to hear what God has to say to you. Come to church because you're, you're eager to serve. I'm not necessarily talking about uh, the roster well, I'm sure there's plenty of opportunities to serve on the roster, but, but just eager to serve by saying hello to a, to a new person or encouraging a friend or, or just coming to church with the goal of finding five things or people that you can pray for in the coming week. If we're living for the kingdom, let's make church a top priority. Uh, related to that, and again, it's not rocket science, make growth group a top priority. Our weekly growth groups are a great opportunity to to, to, to commit to a small number of, of fellow Christians and to grow together with them in following Jesus, uh, to commit to that throughout the year ahead. It's a great opportunity. It's a great way to help us and to help others live for Jesus' kingdom. Okay, our groups will be starting up in a few weeks' time. Now's a good time to start thinking about how you can be part of a group and what that might look like. Maybe it means joining a group if you haven't been part of one, or maybe it means uh, changing groups or helping start a new group or uh, so that more people can be involved. Maybe it means saying no to something else that gets in the way if you've been committed to a group of fellow disciples. That's just one example of a, a concrete way that we can live for the kingdom. Third suggestion, a way we can live for the kingdom is to pray for opportunities to share the good news of God's kingdom. Uh, last year during our vision series, we, um, we talked about some of the, the plans that we have to share the good news with others in the year ahead. We pray for those plans. Pray for opportunities to tell the good news to others. Pray that God will give you opportunities. Pray that God will give me opportunities. God's kingdom has come. Jesus has brought the greatest world-changing event of all time. How will we respond to it? Will we regard it as a nice event that you presume will just kind of fade into the distance? Or will we see Jesus for who he is? He's the Lord. He's the King. He's the one who came in fulfillment of God's promises. He's the one who became the suffering servant to save us, to bring us forgiveness. Will you repent of your sin? Will you believe and commit yourselves to the good news, the news of God's kingdom? God's kingdom has come, so let's live for the kingdom.